All right, we are in Deuteronomy, starting in 13. Okay, and so uh, my NASB uh, titles this first portion, Shunning Idolatry. It says, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and you see a sign or wonder, and they said, let's follow after other gods, you should shun him. Uh, you do not listen to them. God is testing you to see if your heart is for him. Seek the Lord, follow the Lord. Um, is this in line with the word of the Lord? Is this in line with the Bible? Is this in line with um, God's heart, God's wisdom, God's ways? And uh, Jesus says in the last days there will be false Christs with false signs and wonders. So this is very applicable. If we we will not be um, we will not be confused by false signs if we are truly the Lord's. But if we're ones that just get excited about signs and wonders, we can be turned aside if that's what our heart is. This is a big problem for the charismatic church today is is that for many they're they're more excited about signs and wonders than they are about the lord signs and wonders are good and wonderful but they're they're just a gift from god they're not god and we should never get that confused and and then so this part and also the next part um shows the seriousness of god wanting a people that worships him and him alone and it says even if your your closest loved ones your family says hey we should go after this other god you should kill them like this is this is that serious that he cannot have a people that represents him now obviously in the modern day that that does not mean we kill him we're we're a different people this was for one this was ancient times and for two, it's different, where they were a race of people. Uh, you know, they genetically, they were a race of people. Whereas today, the people of God are not of a particular race uh, in the way that uh, genetics would say, or color of skin, or, or culture of man, but instead are a called out people who have individually accepted Christ and grown in and through him. And so it's as simple as casting one out of the midst of the people of God if they want to go, you know, if they are trying to convince others to go after other gods. Um, because his called out people should be pure, holy, and represent him and not mixed with others. So obviously, I mean, this, I don't think this needs to be said, but for anyone who's confused, uh, you know, we don't kill someone now for for not uh, that certainly was not Jesus's heart when he uh, when he helped understand the uh the reality of the full ramifications of a spiritual life unto God. Chapter 14 uh, begins with saying you're a holy set apart people and so you have to be clean and and so I've set aside clean you know clean rules of eating. These are the clean animals that you can't eat. These are the unclean animals that you do not eat. We, as, as mentioned when this came up before, um, obviously Jesus and and Peter, uh, well, and Paul, the New Testament makes it very clear that uh, we're not beholden to these uh, rules, um, but we're to learn from the principles. That being said, don't eat a vulture. That's just disgusting. 
And then he goes over tithe again. He says, you should bring your tithe, which, you know, they were agrarian culture. So their tithe was uh, produce like crops and uh, animals. So it's a tithe and or the first first uh, fruit, firstborn of animals. Um, you should bring that. And, and that's why the major festivals are set up along the... Um, set up along harvest times so that people can bring their tithe to the tabernacle or later temple and there's a great feast unto the Lord at that time and everybody's bringing uh, a tenth of what you know what the Lord gave them that year and and that the heart of man is to scrimp and save to provide for yourself in the future but God says, no, trust in me that I will provide for your future and give a tithe. It's testing our heart that we would, would, um, that we would believe in him and trust in him for our future and, and or um, that, that we don't spend it on ourselves. So those are the two things people would do if they're not tithing, right? Spend it on ourselves, our own desires, our own flesh. Or scrimp and save for our future because the future is unknown. But he's saying don't do either of those things. You know, give it to me. And of course, you're getting to enjoy a great feast by this process. But um, but you're also taking care of the Levites. And then every third year, you're doing an extra tithe for the poor, the widows and the orphans. Um, and so by in this, he teaches us to trust him and that he provides for us. And then we move on to chapter 15. And then he sets up a sabbatical year. Every seven years, you're to forgive debts. Now, this is um, it's a really powerful concept, and it, and it goes several ways. For one, it restricts the lending. And, and he ends by saying you shouldn't be lending to each other. You, you, this you should be lending to outsiders. Um, you know, everyone, God should be taking care of everyone. But when, you, but he also is giving the law, so obviously he knows that there will be lending, and and basically it's to the lender, don't lend so much that they can't repay you in seven years, because then you're burdening them too much, more than they can handle, and and if you do, you're not going to get it back, and for the lender, I mean for the borrower. Um, They'll, they'll never be overwhelmed with debt because after seven years, it, it should be forgiven. And so it's a, a good system of, um, of keeping everybody sort of um, on a, a more even, I don't know, even playing field or I'm, I'm, I'm uh, should think through this more because I'm just talking off the cuff, but uh, it allows no one to get too poor, basically. And, uh, and he understands that, you know, money is power in the carnal world, not in the spiritual world. And, and therefore, um, you know, be lenders to others, not borrowers, because there's power in being the lender. There's weakness in being the borrower. But you might think, well, then I'm not going to be a lender. But then he specifically says, hey, don't harden your heart. If you have a brother, a neighbor, which is, you know, the, this is your, your people, help them. If you have the means, help them. Don't, don't just not lend because uh, you're, and really he's, he's, he's transitioning from lending to just giving. But whether lending or giving, 
uh, help so that uh, they, you know, so that they're not uh, down and out, that they can uh, depend on you for help. Be the hand of God helping. But he is specifically, I said, it's, it's he's transitioning from lending to giving. But no, he's specifically saying lending. Um, don't think in your heart, oh, the seventh year is coming. I don't want to lend to him because um, I won't get it back because the debts will be forgiven. He says, no, be generous. And this applies not only to money, but if a person, in those days, people would sell themselves as a slave if they ran out of money, if they were just desperate, they needed money and they, they couldn't get money. Uh... Or, or maybe they had debt, for, for whatever the reason, they they were just desperate. So they would sell themselves as a slave. And he says, after seven years, set them free again. And after you set them free, give them some of the crops, you know, basically pay him for his work. Give him, if you were, if you were a shepherd and you have a flock, you know, give to him from the flock for the work that he did. Or if you if you had fields, give to him from the crops that, that he made for you while he was your slave. And remember that you too were a slave in Egypt. And now he's obviously not talking to people themselves, but you come from a people. Remember where you came from. Even if you're born in a blessed situation, remember that you come from a heritage of being entirely dependent on God. And if you realize the true reality of your situation, even now, even if you're a rich man now, you are entirely dependent on God. And if not, you are absolutely worshiping the world, carnality, mammon. You cannot worship both God and mammon. And then he, he says, hey, sometimes a slave might not want to leave. And so if they don't want to leave, you pierce their ear in a certain way. And then that'll show that they're going to be your servant forever. And he says, don't, don't be upset that he's leaving now. You know, if he's a good servant, then it might be hard. You get dependent on him for six years it's, and all of a sudden he's gone. He says, don't, don't be upset about that. He gave you six years, and since he was your, basically your slave, he worked twice as hard or twice as well uh, as someone who you just hired by the hour because you know, he was yours kind of all the time. And he ends chapter 15 by, again, talking about the principle of the firstborn and that the, the firstborn of the flock is holy and it needs to be eaten in a certain way at, at the temple uh, in the in the prescribed celebration and feast of the Lord, he says, unless it's defected, if it's born to form, then you can eat it at home, and and it's not uh, the same rules don't apply. And then we move to chapter sixteen. And this chapter is going over the major feasts again. I feel like I've already gone over the meaning behind these twice. Uh, I, I I can't remember. Is that is that uh, Exodus 20 and Leviticus 23? It's something like that. I'm, I'm not positive. But uh, you can go back and listen to those if you want to. I'm not going to rehash that because I, I didn't mean to do it the second time. And I think I kind of did. <laughs> so I'm not doing it today. Suffice it to say, he points out these three really important feast days. Now, previously, there's seven, seven kind of high holy days, but there's three really important ones. And he's pointing out in this chapter the three really important ones when, when we're called to really worship the Lord. Again, two of those have been fulfilled by Jesus, one, by the Holy Spirit, two. Uh, and the uh, Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths it is still to be fulfilled. It's important. God says everyone will celebrate this holiday in the end times, 
it's important. If you're not looking to the God for these things, you're missing an important thing in Scripture. But uh, but again, I've already gone over that. Um, and then he says, you know, you're to appoint judges and officers in your towns, um, so that and these people should not distort justice. They should be impartial. They should not take a bribe. They're giving the pure justice of God. They should have the wisdom of God and be able to share the wisdom of God. This is a picture of, God showed me years ago that he set up the government over the time of judges, which was very little government at all, but he would raise up judges. It was man's heart to have a king set over them. He wanted to be their only king. He raised up judges in order to help them to to share the wisdom of God, to, to provide leadership that's needed in this world. And when you think about the sons of God uh, that that are to be the kind of the fulfillment of Feast of Tabernacles, it's a similar picture to judges. Him raising up a pure people that are completely impartial, that are wise, not perverted, they're righteous, and they're sharing the pure truth and wisdom of God. And the chapter ends again with, do not mix with anything else. We're constantly, the enemy's constantly tempting us to mix with other religions, with other ways of the world. Stay pure to me in my way, says the Lord. And I think that's it for today. God bless you.